Hello everybody and welcome back for another episode of Mangum Reads. Because two of the three of us are fond of horror, we decide to read a second horror story. And the third person is accommodating. Thank you, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Th this week we are doing a classic work of American literature that I had never read nor actually heard of before. Entitled The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Published in 1892, for most of its history it was regarded as one of the seminal works of gothic fiction. But in more recent years it's also been viewed as one of the earliest works of American feminist literature. It is a 13-page text that was published originally in a newspaper, which actually Miss Gilman was not paid for. She apparently got cheated by her agent. Um, which made for a very interesting and I can see why interpretations of it had varied over time kind of read. Um, we can discuss plot, but this is going to be a fun one to describe plot at, of where I think we could describe the plot in about a paragraph. Of where even for 13 pages, most of it's kind of going over the same kind of spiral. We've got a lot of things to say about wallpaper. Yeah. And sort of everything else around it. Mm-hmm. Lots um, more around it. So I sort of think I find it interesting to see, like, I would say we have sort of the two, in some ways, bookends of literature. Like, a we had a almost hyper-modern story um, mm -hmm. for our, our last episode, and this is sort of very much the other end of... Um, the spectrum and i guess i i am more along the lines of the weird people on the internet saying that this is less horror and more just um psychological issues and a f more feminist piece of work but i sort of do get a little bit of that horror um aspect main thing i got out of it was an exceptionally detailed indictment of the medical profession with respect to women and women's rights and women's health uh, circa about, you know, the late 19th century. Uh, that, I'd and, call that a horror story. Oh, that's a horror story. I, Just, I would say it, that was about mm -hmm. a, a century that was worse <laughs> in the late 19th century, but, you know, it, it was, I think, in our lifetimes that uh, some of the, uh, the diagnoses for a heart attack were changed for men and women, mm -hmm. which just baffles me. And some of the medical techniques that are being criticized in this are still strongly recommended by certain doctors, primarily in treating women, hmm. uh, despite the fact they have very little actual evidence of being positive for treating basically any condition. But we'll get into that as we, go, as we see what our main character is going through. Should we start with plot? Actually, no. Sarah, you have a drink, don't you? I do, actually. Well, I have a drink. I have two segments. My two segments are best done early in this podcast. They are. Um, <laughs> Let's do drink and one-star reviews, because I'm yes. eager to hear what one-stars are for this. Okay, so I will start with my drink, which I am very proud of. I am on a three-week streak of drinks that I like, which is unprecedented for me. And so I have hmm. created what I am calling a yellow wallpaper nerve tonic. And um, it is a delightfully colored drink with sort of green bars over top of it and potentially a moving, a woman moving inside of it. Um, <laughs> but it is a sort of generous pouring of limoncello topped up with sparkling wine in a glass that is rimmed with a, well, I suppose you could call it a sugar rim. It also might be a, a cocaine rim. Um, it also might be a sort of shoulder height smudge around the room. <laughs> and it's delicious quite entertaining sure um, i mean you can rub when all you... of those on your teeth and it'll be fine yeah um you'll feel better when when you make this 
are is the goal to make it thematically look like what it needs to for the text, or is there a different goal for these? Because the visuals are always very impressive. And it has recently been becoming more, um, more closely tied to the visuals of what is going on in the text and what is going on in the drink. Um, bef- it has historically been mostly related either to specifically the ingredients in the drink or the name of the drink if it is a sort of like known name of a drink um but the yellow wallpaper nerve tonic is entirely my own creation Hmm. and i'm very pleased with it well bj we should definitely share this on all our various sites so people can make this drink when they read the text again with us uh yes uh very much so um because pictures are not uh best done on radio um (laughs) so we will do our best to share those things um Mm mm-hmm and right, well, yeah, shall we? Now that you have your, yeah, now that you have your drink, tell us about what some people thought about this book before we tell you ourselves. Yeah, so I have an interesting little edition of Outrageous One Star Reviews today. Um, I have once again veered away from Amazon, although there are Amazon reviews for the short story, but those mostly have to do with the sort of actual production quality of the the item that they received in the mail which is apparently not good so don't waste your money on that guys so i turned once again to goodreads and this was an interesting experience trying to find a pertinent review for this partially because the yellow wallpaper is really well loved among the literary community um there were a lot of reviews, one-star reviews, that were kind of of the, this was really depressing and not what I want to read ilk, or I don't need to read about postpartum depression ilk, which I think we will talk about later. Um, a lot of that kind of stuff, which I guess, like, okay, but is not particularly pertinent for the segment. But then, then, I broadened my scope, guys, and I went up to three-star reviews. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I found a review by a user on Goodreads called Zana, who has done an interesting thing for us, and she has created a sexist character bingo that I would like to share with you because I have questions about this. Uh, I don't know what this is. So she has has created a sexist character bingo to use um, while reading this story... And I'm going to take some issue with it. So she has a sort of three by three graph, uh, three by three chart. So it's more tic-tac-toe. Thing. Yeah, I guess. I get probably, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And her nine categories are infantilizes you explicitly, calling you, quote, little girl or similar. Insists Mm -hmm. you should trust them against your own experience. Forbids you from self-expression or denies your creativity. Blames you for any kind of mental anguish or physical pain you're feeling. Tells you they're doing something you find unpleasant for your own good. Denies your freedom of movement. Doesn't believe you when you speak about your own body or feelings. Criticizes you to your face, but in the third person, so you struggle to reply. And decides whom you may and may not socialize with. Now, I have, I have thoughts about this. Um, you know, that sounds a lot like <laughs> mentoring. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank BJ, you, BJ. BJ, we're going to make this a once-a-week thing from now on. This is reaching that category of joke for you. I mean, it was there. 
It was there. It was well-timed, yes, but that's your one. Move on. Well, so I made some comments last week about um, some things in the beginning of our story that were uh, sort of sexist and misogynistic thoughts that a character was having. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some problems with calling these characteristics sexist character bingo. Yeah, I 100% agree. There is sexism. Also and there's great. abuse. And there's straight out abuse. Yeah. 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 These these don't these don't need to be labeled just to, you know I think sexist in some ways takes away from just the scale of how bad these are. Yeah. I'm, it's like in the 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 broad categorization of sexism, like this is a category. This like it is I guess under a very very broad umbrella, but like in a very bad part of of a you know very large encompassing umbrella mm-hmm. that is more of the like horrible abuse side and yeah yeah um, yeah under under the umbrella of sexism there are some spokes that you might want to piece out <laughs> as yeah. slightly different things it's like, it's like how gaslighting and sarcasm have a relation to each other but maybe one is off is you know there's a broader realm to it than you're summarizing here. So Spencer, what? speaking of gaslighting, sure. Um, I want to move on to my second part of this, which is on the same thread from Goodreads. Uh, this this woman's review goes on for quite a while and seems to be upset that Charlotte Perkins Gilman did not understand intersexual or inter intersectional feminism, which came about much later than when she was writing. <laughs> Um, yeah, in 1892, that wasn't a thing yet. Yeah, so that's fine. Um, but somewhere in the comment thread underneath her review, someone called Aubrey <laughs> has just commented, quote, the yellow wallpaper, semicolon, or some indoctrinating methods have outlived their century, but for everything else, there's gaslighting. Eh. I don't know if gaslighting is really necessarily the right term for this one. Well, it depends on where we're going with the interpretation of this. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that there are a couple of ways that you can t- interpret kind of what the relationship and dynamic is here. In some ways, I think in some ways it makes it all the more horrific if what he's doing is well meant. Yes. Yes. So let's talk about what is actual. Let's go to plot and talk about what's going on here and then kind of come back to what we think is going on. Is that, is that sure. okay? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Well, one of the first questions we have to answer is framing who our main character is and what state she is in at the start of this story that leads to what follows. Because mm-hmm. we do have to kind of answer the question of, it is a common interpretation that this is a woman who's recently had a child and is suffering from what would now be diagnosed as postpartum depression. Oh. Now... You went a different that is- place than I thought you were. Um BJ, where would you go with this? Oh, so from the I, I, I don't necessarily think that, but that is a common interpretation. So okay. a, another common interpretation is that the main character is the author. And this was kind of related to an experience that she had and an interaction with a doctor that she had mm-hmm. around when she had a child. I mean, she, she, she has straight up admitted that in interviews. It's the reason that she even name drops Weir Mitchell, because that was her doctor. Yes, and there's, all, like, then, and she basically says that, you know, this novel helped open his eyes, and then there was a bunch of rebuttal on that, and there's a whole internet spiral of insanity yeah. of, like, calling out the author, saying, like, 
you didn't write this for this purpose and like that's not what happened and it was just like i what um anyway so i feel like the the main character is a relatively young woman that recently had a child is factual because that's what's in the story the postpartum depression or postpartum uh issues are something that i feel like we should put in a bottle um and and come back to um because there are many things that i sort of want to talk about and address associated with things that people assume and i didn't get or people like i got and then some people assume or don't um and so I, I also want to just break in, sorry, BJ, and, and talk a little bit before we go more into thoughts about what is going on here and talk just a little bit about the framing, which is mm-hmm. integral to both interpretations of what is going on in this book and, um, well, I guess this is the same thing, but how we read what is going on in this book, right? Or in this in this story. Yeah. Um, and so what we what we get from the very beginning, we know that there is this woman, we know that there is her husband, and we know that they have recently had a child. But it is important to note that the perspective that we are getting from the story is this woman writing in her journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is writing in her in her journal, in her diary, from a space of relative seclusion. Her husband has taken... Um, has rented a sort of manor house for them in the country for a period of three months purportedly because she's not well and because their home is being renovated. There are a couple of different explanations for why exactly this happens. Um, But the net result of it is that he is still working in town and she is Mm -hmm. left in this house on her own with a couple of servants maybe and her sister-in-law to look okay. after her. So so this is one of the things that I sort of wanted to hold till later, but if we're going to bring it up, I did not get that Jenny was her sister-in-law. Um, and I think that the text is not clear on that. Oh, I think it's very clear on that. Yeah, it says that it's the husband's sister. Mm-hmm. So now whether she's being, you know, it yeah. says that. And so, okay. so the reason I bring this up is that, like, the reason I bring the framing up is to set up the the narrator as a very extremely unreliable narrator. And okay. so we have to take everything she says with a grain of salt, but I, I do believe the relations of people she describes to her. I, so, okay, so I've, I've gone through this a couple of times, and maybe I missed it because I've essentially been skimming it to find it rather than read the 13 pages, which is mm-hmm. um, terrible, but... Um, so, um, they're not referred to in the same passages, um, as far as I can tell. So Jenny is referred to, and her husband's sister is referred to, but they're not in the same entries. That, that that is fair. It does say John's sister when he talks about her and does not say Jenny at the same time. does say that they seemingly are living in the house together. And there's not really much of anyone else there. Well, so so there are a bunch of servants, and I are there. Yeah, there are some I servants there around. Are one or two people, maybe. Right. I I got to interpret it was just Jenny, at least at least for a substantial portion of it. Yeah, I I mean I guess it's just so I read like I read that Jenny was her sister-in-law, or that not that Jenny was her sister-in-law, but that her sister-in-law was there at some point, 
And then there's mm-hmm. just like this other character, Jenny, that had like a really weird relationship with her husband. And maybe it's his sister, but it's still a very weird relationship, even if it is his sister. Now, particularly gets to be a weird relationship through the eyes of our main character once she starts to talk about them more. Yes. It, yeah. It, it's it. In terms of the framing device that you mentioned, Sarah, it's interesting that this is very much a hallmark of this era of writing, where this kind mm-hmm. of, and it was, again, it was viewed at the time as gothic fiction, but you think of a lot of the works that were coming out in that period, things like Frankenstein, Dracula, Turning of the Screw, mm-hmm. um, or Poe, particularly, Tell, uh, Telltale Heart being a great example. All of these were written through the framing device of, this is a person writing a journal. Mm-hmm. And it, it's an interesting claustrophobic way of reading it, because it very effectively gives you a descent into madness because you're only getting a kaleidoscope kind of view of key moments of a person descending when just they want to give you an insight into their mind. And yeah, it's a fun way of framing this kind of building tension. Yeah, especially because it it allows you to get, and I think we see it in this story, the kind of clues of some sort of break with reality well before we are sure that there is a break with reality. And, mm-hmm. and this narrator is particularly cognizant, well, cognizant is not the right word, but she is particularly diligent in recording in her diary. Because um, she has nothing else to do. Well, yeah, and then, and then recording moments that d- maybe have significance to her or not, but certainly have significance to us as a reader. Do, do, uh, here's a question early on, but... As I said, the setting of all this is this kind of country... He says it reminds you of an English estate, but I'm assuming the story is taking place in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but why are they there? Is this purely a holiday that they'd agreed on before, or is this something that's being built into her treatment, essentially? I would guess built into her treatment. Um, yeah. And... Because the, the room itself that she ends up in seems, you know... Well, it's a thing. Sanitarium-like? It's, yeah, it feels very much like that, even if you want to call it a nursery in the text. Yeah, and so in, in the text, just kind of in the plot of how she gets to the space in which she's writing, they've come to this house, and for reasons I don't quite rem- remember, and maybe you can... I know they talk. she talks about them, but I don't quite remember what they are. Um she can't stay in the actual pleasant rooms downstairs that are well appointed and have kind of beautiful furnishings and gorgeous wallpaper and beautiful views. And she is meant to stay upstairs in this quote unquote former nursery. Do you, why was that? It seems airflow. That's what I kind of got. That that room has a lot more windows that can allow the airflow that she needs as part of her treatment. That's all, kind of all I picked up about it. Yeah. And sure. <laughs> there are a couple of other things that, like, so very quickly there's a very weird um, um, marriage dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, like, and he she talks about, like, I have these concerns and my husband just laughs at me and, and laughs them away, but that's kind of what you expect with marriage, so, like, whatever. Um, <laughs> and then, basically, she's taking a bunch of drugs um, to try and get over, like, the issues that she has, um, like, the hysterical tendencies and then the nervous depression... Mm-hmm. Um, which the nervous condition she calls it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, but 
And also is just like, and her brother, who's a, a physician of highest standing, agrees. And so, yeah, like Spencer, I would very much agree that that's probably sort of what this attic is about. But I would guess, you know, there are other things that, that we can go into as to why she might be there. But we also get descriptions of how weird this house is. Yeah, um, uh, and and it, it, one point, just to finish what I said earlier, is that you guys said that it was, it was she was here because of her treatment. You're exactly right. I forgot this line. that He said we came here solely on my account and that I was to have perfect rest and all the air I could get. So, yeah, you're right. That she, the only reason they're here is that they're treating this as a way of improving her condition. Sorry for interrupting. And so, yes, he says that. And maybe that is maybe that is true, mm-hmm. but there is also like just a weirdness in how that is phrased, and it's unclear if that's how he actually said it or how she is representing him saying that because of this strangeness about the narrator and what she thinks and what is actually happening. Yeah. Where? So let, let's let's come yeah. back to that. Let's go okay. back to, to I just all I these just want to f- highlight that <laughs> yes. that from the beginning, making a there is from a the question beginning. about what the husband is doing and why were mm-hmm. why we are in this spot. Yes, that's this, that's. This I ju- will come I just up again. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. There. Okay. There. I think there are flags to like things that happen sure. <laughs> in every single column and most of the paragraphs within right. them. So let's just um, red flags, keep, keep if you going. will. We, we will. We'll get there. Um, yeah. So continue basically, on, there are these gardens, and it's a beautiful place, but they're destroyed greenhouses, and yeah. so there's just like this. It's beautiful. It's stately, but like it's complete wreck. And I get like certain things are at least a complete wreck, and so I kind of get this like. First of all, what is their main house like that they're doing repairs on? And and so we can get on, like, again, back to what you said, why they're actually here. But it, it's just, like, a very weird place um, that they're in. And mm-hmm. then it's, like, un, like more weird on top of that. Um, and so, yeah. like, we, we essentially get a description about the place and then about her day-to-day. Um that she has a scheduled prescription for each hour in the day and her husband sort of takes care of her all the time, except he's never around, um, which, you know, we can come back to him being controlling. Um, And also she's sort of on bed rest, but she like the exercise that she can do depends on her strength, which depends on her eating. So clearly she's not eating well or right. Um, and then we get the dis- some of the description of the room, which is insane. Um, but, and here's where I'm going to bring up what we I briefly mentioned before, which is, um, you know, it's a big airy room, the whole floor nearly, with windows that look all ways and air and sunshine galore. There's a nursery first and then a playroom and gymnasium, for the windows are barred for little children, and there are rings and things in the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, so... There was at one point this weird thing that people would do back in the day where they basically had these cages that they would put babies in so they could get outside air. Oh, like a um, like a cat window thing? Yeah, they hang off the sides like of houses. Like a cat balcony? Just... Yeah, yep. yeah kind of like that, but they would basically put a cradle out there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently in like Nordic countries, 
they just bundle their children up and like put them in strollers and like leave them outside at the front door for naps mm-hmm. um you say that like that's a normal thing sarah but um <laughs> i lived in denmark for a while okay i mean that that's a relatively normal thing but i, I still think you know i mean something... it is a thing that is done in yes Yes. Um, but but I think if that is the bard for little children, because, you know, it's a way that they can essentially have open windows without kids falling out of windows, which I could 100% see being a problem if you had a third story window with relatively young children yeah. and they sort of grew up being put in the window or whatever because people were crazy back then. I think that that's... I totally see your point, especially kind of coming as this story does off the heels of a particular Victorian sentiment about childhood and children, that that might be a possible interpretation that she believes for these bars on the windows. Right. And that potentially a reading audience might believe about these bars on the windows. Right. And I guess that's sort of where I'm, it's hard to tell, like a modern reading of it is this is like a saw dungeon and this is insane. (laughs) How could she possibly not know what is going on here? Right. But I do think that there, there are reasonable ways that this could be like semi-normal. Yes. But I think that we get, we get details that fill the other part of that semi. Right. With probably not not normal. normal. (laughs) But, but again, like I don't know. Like, I have no idea, um, and we'll get into it, like, whether, like, the other really weird things are really weird or something that you would do because, like, that was normal for some reason or other. Because, like, I can't think of a reason that that would be a thing in the book otherwise. Anyway. Yeah, um, well, I mean, I do think that, so I don't, so I think it's, it's important if we're having this discussion to delineate what the other things that you're talking about are because i think that they're i mean like the rings on the wall are like clearly weird but maybe maybe there is a reason that they were there um but there are certain other things in the room that there is no reason other than her kind of twisted interpretation of why they might be there yeah i guess like i don't like if we we you know i i think that the danger of as a mod- modern audience reading this story is that we fall in a little bit of a sort of alterity trap where because there are things like baby cages that might explain some of these things we we think that well maybe <laughs> maybe we're just misunderstanding all of these references and i think that these references were meant to be like oh shit she has no idea what's happening here Right. Yeah. That she's going into this with a profound amount of trust in her husband and his well intentions. Yes. When it appears, at least to me, she's being locked in a makeshift kind of sanatorium up at the top of this house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe. Um. <laughs> it's a locked door that apparently connects to that entire floor. And yeah. she never really leaves this room. Well, she's, I treatment. mean, she says that she walks around the garden. Uh, when yeah. does she actually say that? It's pretty early on, right? Yeah. And later she says she creeps around the garden, but that has a different connotation that we will get yeah, to. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, so anyways, it does so anyway. say she gets some, yeah. some yeah. exercise. Yes. But 
her husband is not there quite frequently. She is mostly in this room because apparently sleep is good for her. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a particular feature of this room that we have not yet talked about. Try right about to get there. And it's the, the creepy yellow wallpaper that is sort of coming apart in areas and has very um, interesting patterns. Mm-hmm. I've never heard something described as um, following lame uncertain curves for a little distance, they suddenly commit suicide. Um, <laughs> That's a fun line. Plunge off at outrageous angles, destroy themselves in unheard of contradictions. It's just, it's a great description, but I don't mm-hmm. really have any idea what, like, it looks like. Um, well, and it's hard because of our narrati- narrator, right? And also, I feel like wallpaper is so uncommon now that, like, the imagery <laughs> that I have of wallpaper is, like, the garish stuff that went into homes in, like, the 70s. right. And that's kind of it. Like, I know it was a thing and a way to, like, do up walls and whatever. But, like, it's just not not something I have a touchstone for. Yeah, and I think that particularly when she is in her more lucid moments describing this wallpaper as kind of double... That, that there are essentially two motifs to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It seems to me that it is probably a type of wallpaper that has some sort of um, stripe in it, like a subtle stripe in it, but Mm. that stripe is overlaying a sort of gold-foiled floral pattern. And that kind of accounts for some of the double layering that she's seeing, as well as some of the three-dimensionality that is Ah. popping out at her. I had a very different interpretation of the yellow. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, So... Is this a Napoleonic yellow? Um, no. So, so actually more like, um, like there are places that are, it's more common, but essentially like what happens when skin oil comes up, like into contact, something that'll absorb it. Mm. Well, that, there like, is some of that going on. Yeah. So when it talks about that unclean yellow, strangely faded, like that color that, you know, sometimes happens like around beds and like white paint and Mm -hmm. things like that but like usually over a long period of time also sometimes that's like exacerbated with water and Mm -hmm. drywall so just there are um like essentially sweat and human skin oil will turn stuff like a very gross sickly yellow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's what i imagine this color to be and kind of how it came about um, well i think i think that's part of it i think my, my only my my actual my comment about the sort of potential gold leaf and and all of that is about the pattern itself not necessarily the color mm-hmm. but how this double layering happens gotcha. that she question there. gets caught in go ahead spencer i'm sorry yeah, question there too. With respect to this kind of chaotic pattern with things just ending and collapsing, do we also think that's kind of working in just how dilapidated the wallpaper is? That there are so many torn and missing segments and so much of a threading in its state that whatever patterns may exist do just kind of end at odd angles and have this kind of chaotic mess on the wall. That's a good point, Spencer. I hadn't really considered that, but we do get dis- di- disturbing descriptions of the way that around the bed, the wallpaper has been torn away um as Mm -hmm. far as she can reach certainly 
Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as she imagines, a sort of young boy might be able to reach. Perhaps if they were unable to leave the bed for some reason mm-hmm. or another, but... Yeah. Or also, I think we described before that there were bite marks all over the bed That's, and claw that come, marks that, all over the That comes later, Spencer. You're, you're jumping around. You're jumping around a lot. We're, we're describing <laughs> a room. It's okay. Uh, question as well, that she certain times describes this wallpaper as being literally molded. That it is as a, the wall itself is growing out. Is this, again, just a description of the color, or do we think that this room is indeed that dilapidated? Uh, I guess that it was, like, plastered over more than, like, so it looks like it might be molding in terms of like it's been essentially plastered over rather than like it's actually molding gotcha um molding more as the like something is molded as opposed to and like formed as opposed to stuff is growing on it okay um but anyway so we're getting to the part where the postpartum depression comes from which is we sort of get a quick break, and then she says she gets to write again, or she hasn't felt like writing before, or she hasn't had access to any writing materials because she's being kept um, under lock and key. Um, she's not allowed. She's not allowed to write. Yes, because that is too like. much exercise. Um, anyway, so um, basically, she's sitting in the the nursery again, and we get again the sense that her husband's away all the time. And she's very happy that, you know, she's not particularly sick because then he gets to go and do do things. But she's intensely unhappy and her suffering is um, like there's no underlying condition. So that makes her husband happy, which, again, you know, speaks to a lot of the um, interpretations that other people have. And then we get the there's a nanny, Mary, that is very good with the baby, but she can't be with him because it makes him nervous. And we get um, um, italicized text with cannot and also reason. And so I feel like there there are words that um, get emphasis that there wouldn't otherwise. Um, And then, and this is one of them that she cannot be with her baby. And I feel like this really speaks to the postpartum um, interpretation of this book. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then we come back to how terrible the room is, which, again, I feel like is a, I can't deal with my baby and my surroundings are awful. And like, there are almost no mentions of she had a child very, presumably very recently. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because as we have been talking about, there are all of these sort of interpretations of this story is this sort of postpartum depression story, but that is correct me if I'm wrong, The really the only mention, the only indication that we get that that might be what's going on. Yeah, we get this mention then, and then pretty much the only other mention of the baby we get in the text is much later on, mm-hmm. when she's just commenting that she's glad the baby isn't in this room with her because she can endure it better. Right. But, yeah. which, is, which is a little bit disconnected from a sort yeah. of postpartum depression reading. But it's interesting, I think, to me that 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 particular moment has made such an impact on the interpretation of this story. Mm-hmm. Not that it's yep. not that I disagree with it or that it's wrong, but it is that is such a powerful moment in this story. It is because previously, and then really the only frame we get is that she, in some way, has some issue, either imagined or not, with respect to her nerves. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the few moments we see that okay, maybe there is actually something here, and it's just not being put upon her by her husband or society. Yeah, yeah, um, and so. And then, 
Oh, go ahead, BJ. No, go ahead, Sarah. It's it. We're just. Oh, I, no, was I was just continuing just... with what was going on. Well, I was too because this is the point I think at which we really start to descend into the narrative of the wallpaper. Yeah, and and we get that she has communicated how much she dislikes this wallpaper to her husband, and mm-hmm. initially he was like, "All right, you know, I'll replace it," and then it's like, "Well, but." we're only going to be here for three months. Like, do you really need this? And like, you're doing better. And, you know, and if we we replace the wallpaper because of all of the reasons you think it's bad for you, then you'll just turn to something else that needs to be replaced (laughs) as the cause of Um, your distress. Oh, the poor little girl. Um, and and it was just like you know and if you're really unhappy about these things we can whitewash the basement too and it's just like what what are you talking about yeah um and and yeah it's just like and then it's like oh but it's a wonderful room otherwise and i quite like it and you know if it just wasn't if it wasn't for this wallpaper everything would be fine and i i feel like we're getting a little bit of um stockholm syndrome here where you know she's deciding that like what she has to deal with is okay if -hmm. it weren't for like this this essentially minor thing that being in this um enforced sanitarium is is fine otherwise yeah her her reaction to her treatment up to this point has been interesting of where she's definitely going along with it and she definitely seems to think that it's for her own good but she has it several times expressed concerns or at least her own thoughts about what she thinks she might actually need or want Mm mm-hmm Oh, shocking. Uh, she doesn't. Yeah. God forbid. I, I was kind of. I was kind of surprised even that she was that she was willing to express those. Mm-hmm. That she at times says, you know, maybe I should go out and see people. Maybe I can go see my friends. Maybe I can go for a walk. Each time she's immediately rebuffed and you know doesn't belabor the point, but she at least seems to think to a certain degree that he means well. This is meant to get me better, but maybe it's not what I actually need. Mm-hmm. But, as said, can't belabor the point, he would be unhappy. Yeah. And so she then goes on to describe the lovely views, and she imagines people wandering around there, and then there's a private wharf belonging to the estate in a shaded lane, and she imagines that there are people wandering there and that she could go out to talk to them, but she can't. And then it'd be nice if, you know, the cousins would visit, but her husband says, you know, that would be the worst thing for you because you don't need to have any stimulating conversation um which again (laughs) kind of bonkers but then Mm. um like right in that section i feel like we get another of like a sort of hallmark of depression Mm -hmm. um which she says like you know i think sometimes if i were only well enough to write a little it would relieve the press of ideas and rest me but i find i get pretty tired when i try which I feel yeah. like, again, is like one of those like quick lines that sort of gets lost in the description of like what's around and the wallpaper and, and that sort of encroaching on her, which is right. just so I there's something that I feel like will help and I really want to do it, but I'm too tired to. And that kind of plays in also. And I think that this description starts to happen at this point where she starts really talking about the fact that she doesn't sleep at night mm-hmm. for reasons that we will well for re- for reasons unknown i suppose but for for explained reasons that we will get to um but that she has been encouraged to sleep as much as she can during the day yeah 
Um, and that cycle is also this one of these kind of hallmarks of depression that you are talking about, BJ. Yep. Um, and I feel like we have more of them and we also have sort of like intrusive thoughts that are attributed to the wallpaper, but like Mm -hmm. the wallpaper has a lot of violence contained in it, um, in sort of every description. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're getting increasingly more violent as we go along and increasingly more active as we go along. The, the, uh, broken neck and two bulbous eyes that stare at you, Mm -hmm. um, in this one. Um, anyway, so... Then I guess we go back to um, a little bit more of a description of the room around her and how horrible, like, it's encroaching on her at night mm-hmm. um, and how it sort of reminds her of nightmares that she had as a child or just images that she had as a child. Um, and then John's sister comes in and sort of, like, tries to, to help her um, but basically she knows that when John's sister shows up, she can't be seen writing in the diary. And so she has to quickly finish up her thought. And then we don't get anything for some period of time. Yeah. Um, and we get, I, I don't know, there seem to be like some sort of periods of normalcy within this narrative or relative normal normalcy anyway, uh, that are punctuated by her husband being gone for extended stretches of time to the city where he is working, which where he's staying in the city because their house is under construction. I don't really know. Um, But all the while we are kind of dealing with this encroaching liveliness of the wallpaper, which takes up more and more of her thoughts and more and more of her narrative. Mm Um to the extent that she and correct me if there are there are things that I'm missing out but to the extent that like she starts staying up at night to watch the wallpaper yeah and it starts to develop a certain degree of uh, life and world and universe about it that this didn't necessarily start with yeah particularly these ideas of there being things behind it that are desperate to get out yes and also like there's this other weird sense of this is where the wallpaper changes to being sort of her enemy in the room Mm -hmm. to where she likes the room because of this horrible thing in it. Mm -hmm. But she still goes back and forth at at various moments of where, as you said, there there seems to be a transition, but then between chapters she goes back and forth until by the end it becomes more consistent. Yeah. Well, I think it's always that there's something horrible within that spot in the wallpaper and the wallpaper itself but it's how she feels about that horrible thing being there yeah she perceives herself with respect to it well yes and so this horrible thing increasingly becomes to her the sort of fleeting vision of a woman trapped behind the bars of the stripes of the wallpaper um that she can only view at night is that right yeah out of the corner of her eye fleetingly yeah um, which coincidentally is the main time that she's awake or maybe not coincidentally. Right. Yes. Um, and so she, she increasingly is, is looking for this woman and trying to, uh, trying to find this woman. And she sees her more and more, not only in the wallpaper trying to escape, which she does, but also some figure of a woman creeping around the garden, 
in the sort of shadows of the woods, like out in the world as well, mm-hmm. as a and sort of all the, brief reprieve from the wallpaper itself. Right, and all the places that she kind of imagined that she could walk and be with other people. Yes. Now this other woman is there, creeping about. Yeah, and sort of like in between this we get like the different treatments that her husband is sort of trying on her, mm-hmm. and then it goes between that and then back to the wallpaper and sort of like and then another like interaction with her husband that is again sort of weird and these happen at various times and there are sort of various responses but again always back to the room and the wallpaper and the other element of this is that from the very beginning of the story we have known that they are on a timeline in this house Mm-hmm. And so as the story progresses, we begin to really pick up steam as they get to the end of their three months in the house. And we get to that kind of last week and we everything really starts to come to a head. Yeah. And it's essentially like we only have a little bit of time left. And, you know, as long as you can recover, we can go back to our house. But her project before she leaves becomes very clear to her as this time continues on, which is to, that she can be the only one who knows this woman in the wallpaper. Um, and she has to make it such that she herself cannot be trapped in the wallpaper anymore. Yeah. And so like the woman trapped behind the wallpaper is sort of her. And so mm-hmm. she needs to tear down this chunk of wallpaper to let that other expression of her out. And so as her husband has to leave again jenny offers to stay the night and sleep with her to keep her comfortable or something i i, or I to don't keep know. her from doing harm to herself like it is yeah, unclear what it's is not going super on clear uh, um, our narrator refuses that help right and locks her out and locks it's, herself in mhm right. throws the key out the window and throws the key out the window and basically then goes to town on the wallpaper. Um, among other things. Yes, yeah. among other things. And then we get some weird references to some rope that she hid in the room that Jenny doesn't know about. I was real scared about that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it is, it is in, in her mind, at least what we get, it is to catch the woman if she escapes yeah. from the wallpaper so that she can kind of hold her in place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, you know, this sort of comes in spurts about her getting, you know, more and more entranced with the wallpaper until she finally decides to tear, like, lock herself in and everybody else out and tear down this wallpaper before the three weeks is up and they leave. Um, and so she hatches this plan and has this rope to catch the woman um, and also kind of spends a little bit of time looking out the window and that you could jump out of it um and basically something comes to a head her husband comes home and then tries to get her to come out of the room she says she's locked it he goes to get an axe and then she says oh no the key is just out there in the garden somewhere like you can go find it and get in and then i mean he does he does he does and the door opens. Um, and the door opens, and he to... faints. Yeah. Well, what what is she doing in this moment when he opens the door? Well, by she, her own description. She is following the pattern, Spencer. 
She is creeping along. She is creeping along the pattern. Um, And she has to creep over him every time. And she has found a convenient groove in the pattern of the wallpaper itself that her shoulder can follow as she creeps along the floor, following the pattern. Not just the floor, either. Not just the floor. Yeah. And, yeah. It's interesting how, how fast this shifts at the end, because... At one point she says, you know, I've got a rope and I'm going to use it to tie her up. And not like five paragraphs later, she says, but I am securely fastened now by my well-hidden rope. You don't get me out in the road there. Of where the transition in her mind from, this is still an independent person that I'm going to catch to, it is me. Yeah. It's been been a, a build over the course of the text, but by the last page... It is a river that is now flowing out in terms of where she's going in her mind. Well, and it's it's a seamless transition, too. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it, it's well played there. Seamless is a good way to put it, because it is just suddenly stark how it happens. And I think when I, when I was recommending the story to you, the thing that... Uh, there are a lot of things that kind of... Rec- that, 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 that make this horror more or less in a lot of ways, but for, for me... Horror specifically has a scene that latches on to you and won't leave you going forward. And her shoulder in that groove mm-hmm. is the scene for me. And this going round and round and round um, is quite frightening in ways yeah. that the rest of the story is creepy and unsettling. And, and this is as well. But for for me, that kind of loss of control or finding control in places that we, that are not acceptable in the world is um is extremely unsettling it, it, it seems like the two main elements of horror in this story are what happens to her literally mm-hmm. and then also why it happens yes mm-hmm. uh, but one thing that's interesting about the end too is that it is an interesting sense of where that she's losing her mind and she's losing her sense of self, but in some ways she's securing an element of a victory in it as well. Mm-hmm. It's almost like she's traded her sanity for a certain measure of freedom by the end. The fact that she's even, you know, creeping over him implies a certain degree of independence and control as he's now passed out and effectively at her mercy on the floor. Yeah. Okay, so, it, so, it, so what happens at the end? What, well, or what do thanks. you think happens at the end? Well... Because I 100% was going with the she hung herself. I... And I basically what I've read online is no one else interprets it that way, basically. I have to say, BJ, I did not interpret it that way. Okay. I, I, I had thought it was going to go in that direction the moment she mentioned rope and mm-hmm. jumping out the window. But I did not think it ended up in that manner. Okay, I guess that's what I interpreted from... Her husband's worried about her because maybe she's been showing depressive tendencies and other things like that. Goes to get an axe and then faints with what he sees and she's sort of subsumed in to the wallpaper sort of and then mm-hmm. sort of creeps out. And I guess the if that's not what you think, what do you think happens? Exactly what was said. So, so you do you feel that this is more on the like horror genre of things where she's sort of like creepy things happen? Uh, not not not. I mean, 
we can interpret whether she came out of the wall in that kind of way if we want to, but I'm more, in terms of the visual description of what occurs at the end of the text, I interpreted it as kind of a pretty accurate image that it's giving us as to what is left at the end of this tale. Yeah, I think uh, my interpretation is that she sort of fully descends into some sort of madness, um, or at least these obsessive tendencies, and her communion with the wallpaper, I suppose. Um, Mm -hmm. But that what he saw when he walked in was her continually creeping around the floor in circles and circles and circles. And this was such a setback and a shock to him that he faints, but she continues in this madness because that's of no concern to her anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, 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 that is how I interpret it. Okay. All right. Well, we have finished the plot. Now let's discuss what this thing is about yeah. because we got options. <laughs> we have yeah. a lot of options. Um, um, so the author herself. Let's start there. Sure. Yeah, tell um, us, I feel PJ. like it's the most straightforward. Um, basically, she was prescribed rest by. So Char- Charlotte Perkins Gilman. I don't know if we've actually said oh, yes. her name on this pot on this on this episode. Uh, yes, we might not have. Um, though she also is referred to um, as. There's one other, and I can't remember. Oh, Charlotte Perkins Stetson. Okay. Um, Depending on which married name I think you go by. Um, Anyway, so uh, basically we get a lot of sort of weird things, but but basically the author says that she was diagnosed with depression. A very famous doctor at the time basically uh, said that, you know, what you need is rest and you'll be fine. Um, and she basically, at, after like a couple of months of doing almost nothing, was just like, no, this is crap. Um, and as a writer being told not to touch a pen, pencil or brush was just the worst. Um, and so she contravened it and, and ended up doing, working and, and doing things and wrote this as a, you're an idiot, screw you, um, <laughs> essentially. And doesn't, as said, name drop him. Then she even says mm-hmm. at one point that, you know, if I don't get better, they'll send me to Weir Mitchell and he's far worse. But that was actually <laughs> apparently her doctor. Yes. Which, which I, I love the, the description of the doctor. Silas Weir Mitchell, who pioneered the rest cure, which we see played out very much here. I love, again, how doctors worked at the time, that he's listed in terms of his background as scientist, novelist, poet, and also the father of medical neurology. Well, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe that's how he describes himself. <laughs> yeah. You know, emphasis on the things that matter most. I was going to say, it, it's very fascinating. Um, I mean, he did contribute things to medical neurology, but um, I think it's fascinating when there are statements like that on Wikipedia that are not, um, don't have a footnote, and the ones mm-hmm. that do. <laughs> it is interpretation at play there, sure. Yeah. Um, and but- anyway. One way of background here is that uh, the rest cure was a was a, a classy example of gendered treatment, mm-hmm. of where when physicians were confronted by depression or serious symptoms of depression or nerve disorders, they had two very different ways of treating men versus women. That the rest cure was for women because they were viewed. Well, I'll do the male cure first. The male cure was called the West cure by comparison, of where the idea was go out west young men go out in the world do things accomplish things conquer things write about it 
find new worlds and surmount them. That was the idea of treating them. Various people like Theodore Roosevelt went through that kind of treatment as their way of dealing with, you know, serious depression issues, whatever else. By comparison, women received the rest cure under the assumption that they would basically shatter if you looked at them wrong. And so they needed to be essentially locked into a room, confined to bed, to the point it was even suggested that they not even get out of bed to even receive food, that they'd be solely served in bed, that they not have friends, that they not have callers, that they not read, that they not write, that they do nothing other than rest, because even the slightest disturbance could shatter them in this delicate state. And that was a pretty common medical philosophy for a long time. And we see this played out in all of its horror in this text about what practical effect would that have on a person's psychology? Well, well also, I mean, to res- be fair, we get this uh, pretty re- recently in a sort of Ernst & Young women's empowerment seminar that is a topical understanding of how these things play out in 2019. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was going to say, like, it, it's called rest cure here, but also... It's called bed rest, like, more commonly, and... That's the modern term for it, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, essentially, up until, like, five, ten years ago, it was prescribed for a number of things associated with pregnancy, mm-hmm. and fairly common for lots of other things, and it was basically in, a, well, just before 2000, when there was a review that was just like, yeah, it's, it's really not that helpful um, for pretty much <laughs> well, anything. And also pretty negative for both effects, psychological and even physical health, too. You can have all kinds of problems in terms of tr- for treating conditions that, you know, commiserate conditions from it. Yeah. Uh, this, 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 for also historical context, have you guys ever heard of Nellie Bly? Yes. Yeah. This, uh, Nellie Bly did her famous 10 Days in Asylum mm-hmm. um, pioneering kind of journalist expose about five years before this was written. So you're saying um, that the yellow wallpaper might have to do with yellow journalism? You know, that is another interpretation of this text, yes. But it also frames this again in the mindset of that the treatment of women's medical, particularly mental conditions of the period, was abhorrent and horrifying, and people were just starting to kind of be aware of it and willing to talk about it. Not that people like Silas Weir Mitchell changed their treatment for the rest of their lives through 1914, but people were at least starting to feel comfortable to say, hey maybe this doesn't make sense and actually has a lot more negative effects than positive. I mean, it, not like mental health in general has had a good rap for that past hundred years, but even more so. <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I feel like... So, so that's definitely one of the main interpretations. It's yeah. What she's well, that's the author's said, interpretation, which I feel like... <laughs> this is why I wrote this. The other main interpretations need to, need to be taken with a lot of salt because... Like, I understand once you put a piece of art into the world, like, other people can interpret it. But, like, uh, there's also the, like, all right, well, the author says this is why I wrote it and this is a lot of the things behind it to then say, like, well, really, she also wrote it for these reasons. Hey, Death of well, the Author is a big school of, school of yeah. literature review. And I think that you can say she wrote it for these reasons. and But there are other things in there. Uh, yeah, and you can say sure. I don't. I don't think you can say well. But there are these other reasons she wrote it. But you can say, but these are the other things that it means. Right. Yeah. Um, um, can I make a confession? Please. So I think that I first read this story at about the same time that I watched the movie Gaslight, mm. and they became very. 
tangled up in my head. And when I went into rereading this story, I was very convinced, along with the unreliable narrator, that the husband was the culprit. That this was an intentional act of yes. abuse on his part? And I think that there is, like, there, there are, depending on what parts of the narrator you choose to believe or not, um, there are ways to interpret it that way. But I was absolutely convinced going into the story that that was what was going to be, what was going on. Gotcha. Um, I mean, I feel like there are things that would now be labeled as abuse that were not labeled as such, or that were more normal then. Sure. Like a lot of the isolation. Do you you still adhere to that interpretation? Or was that just your original interpretation? No, I don't. I think that there are... Well, it's difficult because I think that there are much more generative interpretations that that deal specifically with the undiagnosed issues that affect particularly women and how they were dealt with and or not dealt with in this era um, as they continue to be today, as we, as we have just talked about. But I do... I do think that there is a reading. I don't think that it is the, the strongest reading necessarily, but I do think that there is a reading that takes some of our narrator's early diary entries kind of at their word when she is much more lucid than she eventually becomes, um, and that her distrust of her husband and her brother and her sister-in-law might have some merit to them. Hmm. Um, I think that there is a a reading in which that is valid. Now, we don't ever get, because of our limited perspective in this story, we don't ever get a sort of motivation as to why that might be. I mean, there are any number of motivations (laughs) that it it could be. But it still remains a possibility, no matter where she ends up, quite honestly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think that the other thing, too, that may be significantly at play, um, and I don't know, but this is about the right time for it, that the phosphites, phosphates, and tonics that she's given um, Mm -hmm. might have some um, altering effects to to this um, young lady. Um, I actually... The, there's a character that is sort of brought to mind that you guys might be familiar with, Alma Garrett from Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Um, Bit of a laudanum-based diet here? <laughs> yeah. like I, It's like there's stuff like that where there are these gaps and almost hallucinogenic qualities to some of her relationship with the wallpaper there are some references to delirium tremend which i know is like specific to alcohol but like if she's coming off of some of the tonics that she might have been prescribed for this like sure i there's like a whole other section of like she's being heavily treated with a lot of things and also in a very weird place yeah, because it also, I mean, it does bring up again this idea of of what is going on with the bulging wallpaper, right? Mm-hmm. And it was it was suggested that maybe there is actual mold growing on this wallpaper, which maybe, maybe not, we don't know. But in this old house that is not kept in the best of conditions, it is not out of the realm of possibility 
to think that there might be some sort of growth in spores that are floating through the air, potentially as a direct result of this wallpaper. Yeah. Um, and I was not entirely kidding with the Napoleonic version of this wallpaper either. <laughs> and the effect that it might be having on her. I mean, we don't, like, we don't know what the mm -hmm. direct cause of, um, specifically her hallucinogenic symptoms are. But we get any number of options presented to us. No, we're in a medical period where, you, as you said, they were of the view that just prescribing opium or cocaine to treat almost any medical condition was just perfectly fine. Sure. So yeah, like we have no idea what cocktail she's on teething right now. and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> baby-related things. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, I mean, they, they were straight up prescribing cocaine as a housekeeping helper. So <laughs> with that kind. Of, which I'm sure it was in some ways. Um, I, I but, yeah. listen to a different podcast that um, sometimes talk about women who are prescribed just various pep-up medicines um, in this period and beyond, and they describe them as just the cheer-up-bitch remedy for all kinds mm -hmm. of things. And I think that's what we're dealing with here. Yeah, it, it's really a fun thing with interpreting him, the interpreting her husband. Because, like I said earlier, it, in my mind, it makes it all the more horrific if any if all of this is well meant. Yes. That if he truly does believe that he is, if he truly is in his own way in love with her, and truly does believe that all of this is necessary to her treatment, it just makes all of this so more terrifying that these kind of dehumanizing, disrespecting, utterly dismissing what the individual concerns, even as you said putting it on her that all of this is for her own good and she's the one that has to make this happen and any misstep is her failure is just well societally terrifying and yeah in my mind it definitely seems that i think that's all the all, all the more profound and horrifying way of interpreting it yeah yeah so do you have like ultimate thoughts on what you think happened i mean like, I where do, do you I mean. fall on this <laughs> Uh, tell us, BJ. Oh, I mean, like, I I just... First of all, like, I I get that Jenny is... Like, I, I get that interpretation. I just didn't read it that way because of how disjointed it was. Um, and in some ways, to me, it very much felt like um, Jenny wasn't her husband's sister, but, like, the nanny that is a little bit younger and displacing her after like a traumatic uh child and she eventually hangs herself because she's a being replaced b depressed and c being put on all sorts of drugs and essentially isolated and and abused that way um and she ends up killing herself by hanging which surprises her husband um, but in the acceptance that Jenny is her husband's sister, um, I happily revised that to basically just a, um, there's, there are some issues that are stemming from something that happened earlier, probably associated with her giving birth and the isolation and treatment of the time has just made everything worse. And it just sort of ends either um in a in suicide or psychotic break i honestly kind of like the suicide ending better because then it doesn't rely on sort of hand waving into the gothic and is in some ways to me a more interesting 
or it fits better with like the relief that she sort of seems to feel at the end of the story and my head like going along with her depressive tendencies and spiral into this madness um rather than just she's had a break and is covering herself in wallpaper or something mm. uh, but Spencer... i guess i Oh, go ahead, yeah. BJ. Sorry. I was going to say, I'm fairly, I get fairly definitive in how I interpret something and like, I can <laughs> like accept other things, but, but, um, you're where you know, are. Yeah. I, you are, I, I you are in the, you like, are firmly in the groove I, in the wallpaper yes, and I, I'm in that groove. traveling round and round. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. So Spencer. Well, in my mind, it's, I interpret the ending of basically being that the inevitable result of her treatment and the only reasonable escape from it is madness. That, that kind of leaving oneself, abandoning whatever else is connected to the earth to escape your condition was the only way that she could get away from this. She could never really fully accept that she was being abused. She could never really view it in that light. And so she had to invent this kind of mindset of where this this other woman that's looking to escape. It's this other person that wants to get, get out from these bars. It's not me, not at least not until the end. And all of this is just her way of finding some way of, of dealing with and accepting a world that just has no consideration or concern for what she actually needs and views even the idea of her expressing it as further demonstration that she needs to receive this treatment. That the idea that she would even want to express her own views is just proof that she needs to have everything taken away from her. And so I see the end description of where she's fully now embraced the mindset of this escaped woman. She views herself in that light it's just her final way of removing herself from an otherwise untenable situation. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was my interpretation of the end. Yeah, I think, Spencer, I, I think I, I am more prone to um, agree with your interpretation. Although I have, and I think that this is my own sort of groove in the wallpaper, I have this propensity to believe that there was something nefarious going on with the husband. Um, and what he was trying to do here. But I think at this point for me, one of the, the more interesting sort of thought experiments is we are left with this very evocative scene mm-hmm. of her husband flat out on the floor. Um, and in fact, in the version that we read on the NIH website, uh, there is a sketch drawing at the very end of the story of her husband flat out on the floor. And it seems like she might be comforting him, but I think we know from the story that that is not the case. Um, just, just one little question on that. BJ, did you know, do you know what version this is? I know we got this from the National Institute of Mental Health, or National Institute of Health, but is this like an original copy of what was originally printed in that magazine? I can't, well, I was going to say, I can't imagine that it is. I thought it, at some point you said it was a newspaper, but it might be, it looks fairly old. Like the art style looks mm-hmm. like something that was done in terms of like carvings that could be printed like that. Um, I I actually don't know. Um, I think it was sort of part of a symposium of some sort. Um, but yeah. it, it was originally published in the New England Magazine, like a monthly literary magazine. So kind of a cross between the two. So um, maybe. So yeah. I mean, that might be um, given the style and kind of how it looks. It might have been in a magazine yeah and it very much does look like that because at the top of each page it says the yellow wallpaper and that's a very common thing where there yeah. are like short stories within a magazine yeah um 
Sorry for interrupting, Sarah. Oh no, it's 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 fine. I just I think we're left with this this evocative moment that sort of casts a line out into the future, and I am interested, especially given the first person unreliable narration that we are given here and the framing of this sort of diary that seems to fall apart in the end because we come up into the present tense Mm -hmm. and she clearly cannot be writing like actually writing at that moment as to where we go next from here um and what what her sign kind of communion with the wallpaper in her mind actually means I think determines kind of what genre we are actually in. And from her perspective now, if she's embraced, you know, the identity of this woman behind the wallpaper, she's now free to creep wherever she wishes. Mm-hmm. That this room and this groove is only the beginning. That now she's fully escaped and can go where she wills. And I think it it raises an interesting question about where what this house actually is. Because it feel it does at times feel like just a house that they have rented. It at time feel at times feels like an almost private asylum. Mm-hmm. To what extent she will be able to sort of carry out in that quest? Uh, not well in reality, not at all. Yeah. Sure. I mean, unless we unless we interpret this as a lot more gothic, you know, going into the point of gothic fantasy, I see this as a mental break of where she's just going to wander around this room until maybe the sister comes and finds them like this. Sure. Yeah, and I think I think that's probably true, but I do think that the 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 feeling and the tone of the story, while in some ways curtailing the sort of gothic fantasy of it, play on that idea. Oh yeah, I mean the ending I think is it's profoundly it's very much horror, it's very evocative, but there's almost an uplifting element to it too, of where there's a sense of victory in her saying of I got out at last in spite of you and Jane. I pulled back most of the paper, so you can't put me back. And there's no one there to question her anymore. There's no one there to immediately rebut her what her statement. The only person that was there as her, you know, both caretaker and oppressor is a passed out on the floor. She's lecturing to his unconscious frame. So this is one of the few moments we see her of where just she's openly expressing herself mm-hmm. in control. It's just in a state of profound badness. So who is Jane? Jane uh, was the sister. Nope, that's Jenny. That's true. Jane is the only, that's the only mention of Jane in this entire text, isn't it? So one of the interpretations is that that's the narrator? Uh, interesting. I I actually, I was just, I was just associating that with Jenny. You're right. That, that is the only mention of Jane. Yep. Um, so there, there are some people that say that that's the narrator. There are some people that say that it's Jenny and it was just a spelling mistake that didn't get caught. Um, Mm -hmm. because there is a typo earlier in the story. Yep. And (laughs) just, and then there are other things that are like typographically very clear of the era Mm -hmm. um the spelling of draft um and then the spelling of tonight Mm -hmm. um things like that yeah no there's a there's an actual word i don't remember what it is but there's an actual word that's wrong earlier in the text um so Um, so it could so it could be it could be a typographical error but you you're saying bj that the in, that the some of the interpretation that you're seeing is that Jane is the name of the narrator, mm-hmm. and we are now getting like a sort of actual dissociation from between the kind of woman in the wallpaper that we are left with and right. Jane as the narrator. Right. Okay. If, if so, that's in recognition that she was her own oppressor. 
she is saying basically i in spite of both of you mm-hmm. that yeah that, if so that's uh, so that's commentary on that she herself was participating in her own abuse yeah or, which is an interesting way of reading that sure there are all sorts of interpretations online and i oh. thought that one was interesting <laughs> yeah um but i guess i just i more looked over that i mean partially because um I'm assuming spelling mistake. Yeah. Um, I mean, but there are like Mary essentially only gets brought up once. Um, so like it's, it sort of isn't unheard of in this story to have like a vaguely referred to character that there's no mention of otherwise. Like her mm-hmm. brother is just brought up in like two sentences and then essentially tossed out. Mary is brought up in relation to her child and then is isn't even mentioned again when she talks about her child later um well and the sort of confusion between jenny and the sister-in-law that you brought up earlier bj is kind of put down to the same type of slippage right yeah i mean i guess that that's sort of my like they weren't referred to in the same area at all and so i get that like that makes sense as long as these entries aren't particularly disjointed Mm -hmm. and i just felt that that entry was incredibly disjointed because it's like okay she's coming up now and now it's after july 4th and jenny is here yeah and so i guess i just to me it made it like there was no direct connection between the two people because we're essentially in a completely we're in a new chapter and Mm -hmm. it's a week later or something yeah if it's another person then like pretty much all the names in this book start with j don't they we've yeah. got john, john jane jenny jane, jane. I, think, I think we always even have like a julia that's name dropped at one There's point a, too their cousins henry and julia i think yeah i mean there is henry <laughs> there's a henry and there's a mary there are exceptions um and then we're mitchell but that was very specific yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> That again says that, yeah, the, her, her own statement of interpretation, probably a pretty accurate read of the book when she's specifically name-dropping him. I yeah. would say so. Um, and I feel like there are other very weird things that just, like... Um, so she talked, like, in the 4th of July passage, she says, so we just had Mother and Nellie and the children down for a week. And it's just like, wait, what? Who are these people? Like, who is Mother and Nellie? Like, is that john's mother and a sister of his or her mother and and her sister or sister-in-law and her kids like just like the the association with other people is very weird and very fleeting Mm -hmm. and like there are these cousins that she sort of feels very close to but like she's kept like they are clearly kept away for some reason and i guess that's sort of like the it sort of played into the isolation that she seems to be feeling and it sort of seemed like her husband was isolating her in many different ways and that's sort of where i got the interpretation that this wasn't like his her husband's sister so like it wasn't somebody that she might have been close to otherwise as part of like the the isolation that's fair yeah that's fair it also kind of plays into this idea that yeah, maybe there that that there was probably some type may might have been some type of abuse going on before all of this started to manifest. 
let's be clear. There was abuse going on. <laughs> Whether it was intentional is a different question. Sure, 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 sure. Their relationship is abusive. It just, we're just not sure whether it's well-meant or not. That's a weird statement by me, isn't it? Well, it's, is it a mentorship or is it... <sighs> Wasn't me. Um, yeah, no, you each got I'm your one. Hope you enjoyed it. them. <laughs> to quote Shaggy. Um, so, I, it, it, I think this is very weirdly on the border of, like, awful medical treatments, awful relationship treat, treatment, and sort of like a feminist point of view from the ni- late 19th century in term like in that weird light and it's there yeah. there is evidence that she was in a crappy marriage there is at least her stating that you know she had a very crappy interaction with at least one doctor and so i think that this might have it might have been her intention to write a story that was very much a criticism of the medical care that she received mm-hmm. but was also written with the perspective and uh living of a- other like shitty situations because of yeah. the time the place yeah. and who she was around yeah. and so it lends itself to many other interpretations because of that where it might not have been the intention per se but like the situation that she's describing has so many other things inherent to it mm-hmm. yeah which is probably part part of the reason it's remained so popular for the last 120 years mm-hmm. it can resonate with a lot of different people in a lot of different ways that's so... very disappointing <laughs> well <laughs> um do we have other things that we want to say about this weird and complex little story um any last bets on whether this... Do we, I, I just want to hear your, your guys' last interpretation. Is this room intentionally an, an asylum? <laughs> so we have not yeah. reached... I, I, actually, we keep Sarah, on putting that off. I feel like, yeah, I did put you off of that. And I feel like we definitely... Like, I want you to... I want to hear what you had to say about that when we were talking earlier on. Oh, about what this room is? Yeah, about yeah. what the room is. Like, why the bed is nailed down. Why she bit the posts on the bed um um so i i think that i think that this room is an asylum and i think that by entering into it she is entering into a long tradition of women who have been um uh well have been restrained in response to this presumed hysteria um and so i think that we are entering into a profoundly female space Although we see her husband there a handful of nights. Um, and I think that we are entering into a space that is that is meant specifically to be um, a kind of restraining space for a certain understanding of femininity and female expression. Now, in some, yeah. some interpretations, that could have been a nursery as well at some point, but... Yeah. That also yeah. goes back to the sort of postpartum depression that we are talking we're talking about earlier. Yeah. There's a, a very long tradition throughout Western society of women that when women start to display uniquely or what were viewed as uniquely feminine problems, they were bundled away and isolated. Mm-hmm. They were taken out of public view and dealt with from issues of either not understanding what that would be or what it was going on, but also issues of just kind of shame to the family. That you can almost imagine from the husband's perspective, the fact that she's going through this and it's visible is in some way harmful to him. That's 
part of the reason they'd he's isolating her from all their friends and family, whatever else, because he doesn't want what's going on with her to in any way affect the impressions of him as well. A little bit of uh, Kennedy in there? Uh, well, I wasn't going to reference that specifically, but yeah, sure. Okay, um, and on that happy note... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, upon referencing lobotomized kidney daughters, um, I I agree with you, Sarah. That this, in my mind, seems like it is very much intentionally an asylum kind of thing, in a in a private kind of setting, just to again remove it from the public eye even more completely. That if yeah. she'd been in a kind of public facility, even that could have been, you know shameful or have commentations well and that's and that's the the point we didn't get to and i don't i mean we have talked around it into different things that connect with it but like one of the things that is going on in the story i think is a very specific understanding of the public private divide and Mm -hmm. where women and men and their particular afflictions fit into that divide um and so she had to be removed from town she had to be removed from where her husband was practicing medicine uh, to this other space that is, as we have said, sort of particularly isolated, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but even w- even within that space, that removal to this upstairs room that is purportedly a nursery, like that is a further step removed from any sort of public nature. Mm-hmm. And it's very much in the style of how they'd go about treating her particular affliction, whatever we want to interpret that to be. Whatever it is, it is being viewed in a, as a uniquely female kind of one. Yes. Um, and, you know, in the sort of, like, things that are empowering in this little story, even as kind of messed up as it is to think about it that way, is the fact yeah. that she is telling her own story, Right. If we go back yeah. to the framing narrative, she is writing her own diary. She is telling her own story. In open defiance. Yes. Yes, against medical uh, advice. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and effectively, by the end, and we, this is an interesting way of, of, of you know, framing a descent <laughs> into madness, but she's kind of devising her own treatment plan mm-hmm. of where so utterly deprived of the interactions and the activity that she actually thinks is necessary for herself, she invents some. And by the end of the story, we see her in a happier and more content state than she's been in before. She's likely stark raving mad, but they didn't give her many other viable alternatives. Yeah. So that's the yellow wallpaper. <laughs> yep. Yes, it is. Uh, if I don't, I don't think we have anything else to say about this. No, do we? I, I think okay. Never. Good no. enough. So if um, if people would like to hear other stories that we have to talk about on our own in contravention of medical advice bj where might they go to hear those um yes in 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 contravention of medical advice uh megamtalks.com hosts all of our content um and pretty much anywhere that you get podcasts you can find um this podcast megam reads our pottercast within a podcast pottering around um where we do a chapter by chapter read of harry potter um and there's also Mangum Watches TV. Mangum hmm, Talks TV. Talks TV. There we <laughs> go. Um, where I believe uh, Terry and Spencer are still watching. Uh, Succession. Succession. Season one. Yeah. Season one of Succession. I don't know. There are a couple of seasons. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also find all the past episodes of Got Questions, um, Mangum Laughs every so often, Whiskey on the Weekends pretty much every Friday, um, and Mangum Hoops whenever there's something very important going on in basketball and um, Levi feels like being social. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can um, f- submit all of those with the contact us button in the upper right hand corner um or contact us pretty much any way that you can find um spencer prefers carrier pigeon and smoke signals um and sarah prefers um very very heavyweight paper with a um wax uh seal or messages or messages through the wallpaper Ooh, oof um and i'll arrange that (laughs) Um, I hope you have a very spooky uh, Halloween. (laughs) This will probably come out afterwards. (laughs) Bye, y'all.